Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 347, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We got a lot to get into. We're going to have a variety of conversations. We even got some baseball talk, believe it or not. Shocking. Which is nuts because here we are, February 16th, as we record this. A lot of you will be listening to this on the 17th, and and pitchers and catchers have reported spring training is underway. The Major League Baseball season is right around the corner. The Mavs are, I like how you kind of put it, limping into the All-Star break. NBA All-Star weekend is this weekend. And of course, as always, there's thoughts about the Cowboys to dive into. But before we get rolling, Greening Law, my friends, you have to make the call. You have to. If, if I could, if you've been in a car accident that wasn't your fault, if you've been injured on the premises of a business, I can personally tell you, having worked with Greening Law, that one of the best phone calls you'll ever make is by picking up the phone and calling them, seeing if you've got a case, because if you do... They're going to go to work for you. They will find things. They fight these insurance companies. The things it, it's and I, I explain this because it's just it blows my mind the stuff that they're able to do that I you just would never think about it. You would never think about it. But this is their expertise. They know how to make sure that you get taken care of and that you truly not just financially can recover, but also more importantly mentally and physically can recover. You need to make the call to Greening Law. Dude, there's no, there's, there's literally no other thing to do. Uh, if you're involved in one of these kinds of incidents, the best thing, the first thing you need to do is pick up the phone and call the green team and say, hey, here's my situation. Because Matt's told you this thing been going on for a minute with him, man. And it's a long kind of tedious process. And you need somebody to walk you through it. Why? Because they're experienced. They know what's going on. They can tell you, hey, take a left here. Hey, there's a curve coming up ahead. Be careful. It's no different than than, uh, signs on the highway telling you how to be careful and how to navigate the thing. That's what they do. That's what they do best. And as I like to tell y'all, they don't get paid unless you get paid. So they are working for you. That's exactly right. And and again, that consultation is free. So because I know how it is, you're like, well, I don't know if I really have a case. Well, call and find out. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. 
So it's interesting because you brought up this question and the Cowboys, of course, they're going to be a lot of offseason questions. And we've got two weeks left in February and then we get into March. We are three weeks away from the franchise tag deadline, which is coming up on March 7th. And obviously, there are going to be a variety of players around the NFL that you are going to hopefully work something out with. If not, you put the tag on them and you continue to try to hope and work something out with them. But you asked the question, how do I feel with Tony Pollard and what the Cowboys should do? And it's interesting because you look at this guy. I actually am comfortable with the franchise tag on Pollard. Because the running back tag is ten million, it's almost like exactly ten million. It's like ten million ninety one thousand dollars, right? For a guy like Pollard, who is, do you want to pay your running back ten million dollars? The only other option that you would have is if you're going to try to be John Robinson this thing, and you go into the first round hoping to get some sort of a starting running back out of the draft that you're going to pay a few million dollars, and it's it's not the ten million dollars guaranteed that you're going to give up all at once. But the problem is, is that we've seen what Pollard can do. At some point, I, this team, to me, has to recognize you have a very finite window. You are in the backside of this window. This may be the last year. Maybe there's a year after this. I would rather you go out and try and find as many weapons as you can that you're not wondering, is this guy actually going to translate to the NFL when you have somebody that already does and go for something in the next year or two? Because after that, you're going to lose some pieces, I don't know if you can extend the window. So for me, if if the goal is to go after this thing in 2023, then I think you have to tag Pollard. I think you just tag him because he's a special talent and uh, he's a special dude. And what I'm saying is, and I was telling one of my boys at the gym this morning, that he averaged 41 yards a touchdown. That's a college number. Uh, I think, and, and I'm talking about amongst the dudes that scored double-digit touchdowns. So it's not a small sample size; it's a huge sample size. He scored. He averaged 41 yards a touchdown. I think uh, Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb was next at like 18 yards or 10 yards, 12 yards. That's a huge gap, man. So he's giving you something that you can't get anywhere else. He had nine runs of 20 yards or more and only 193 carries. And here's what I mean, like. Saquon Barkley had nine runs of 20 yards or more in 295 carries. That's 102 yard carries more. Christian McCaffrey had nine carries of 20 yards or more. He did it in 244 carries. And, uh, you know, how about this, man? Derrick Henry had 10 of 20 yards or more in 349 carries. Pollard did nine in 193. Mm. And so what we're talking about is a dude who's a difference maker. He's a big play. He's somebody you can weaponize. This is an offense that don't have enough weapons. And so forget about the fact that he's a running back. Look at, him, look at him as a weapon. And if you get him more involved in a passing game, even if it's short passes in space where he can make somebody miss and pick up 15 or 20 yards, they should do more of that. Uh, but he's a weapon. They don't have enough of them. And they, to me, sure as hell can't let one go. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because, that's, again, that's a lot of money for a running back. Even the franchise tag at $10 million, it, it, there's only eight running backs in the NFL that are making more than that. One of those obviously would be Zeke. So you might chop that down to seven. I'll be curious to see what somebody like a Saquon Barkley gets. I would imagine that eight running backs are probably going to be above that number. You mentioned a couple of them. It, it, Christian McCaffrey, Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, and Aaron Jones. All of those names are making $12 million or more. 
So then if you slop Tony Pollard in there, is, you know, James Conner and Leonard Fournette are $7 million running backs. To me, I, I'd rather have Tony Pollard than either of those two. You know, Austin Eckler at six one, maybe you'd rather have him. But I, I, I think when you start looking at it and what we think Tony Pollard can be, that actually doesn't feel like an absurd number for a guy who's probably maybe the eighth or ninth best running back in the game. No, I think that's uh, that's fine. I mean, I, again, I think his value is in his big play production. That's yeah. what he does. And he's one of the best in the league at it. And, again, you don't have that. That's not an element of your offense. And there's no reason why you can't pick up a running back second, third, fourth round um, because I'm assuming Zeke won't be here and uh, have the same kind of tandem and have the same kind of impact from him. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting because, obviously, B. John Robinson, I mean, there's people saying that he's Saquon Barkley without the injuries, and, and, and we'll see. You got Jameer Gibbs, the kid from Alabama. Zach Evans, who was at TCU and transferred to Ole Miss, is going to be up there. Uh, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. Uh, Devin A-Chain from A&M. There's a dude from UAB named Dwayne McBride, who was a just running back machine who played behind a solid offensive line here out of the Birmingham area. I'll be curious to see what he does at the Combine because he's one of those guys. He also has been developed as a pass protector a little bit. And so this is such a good class of running backs from guys who really had some production. Tank Bigsby, another name from Auburn, that were able to do a lot at the college game that I think you can find somebody who can come in and be you know, almost be like that DeMarco Murray level type running back that you can find that that will exist in the third round this year. You just have to be oh. able to say, we are going to, we have to come out of this draft and we need a running back on day one or day two. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm stuttering because I'm trying to think, you know, do they? I mean, is Malik Davis or Rico Dowdle not good enough? Maybe they are. Maybe they are. You, you could be right. Well, because as I was saying, I mean, if, if you're going to the third or fourth round, you can look at it and say, how much better are they than the guys that we already have? Right. And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's, a, it's a question worth, worth asking. Uh, but if you find somebody that you really like or, you know, who, who can fill a role that you don't have, then go for it. But uh, to me, however they do it, they just got to get playmakers, man. They don't have nearly enough playmakers on offense. They got two, CeeDee Lamb and uh, Tony Pollard, and they got to add at least two more. Yeah, they're going to have to do something. And, and and we talked about that kind of on the last podcast. Is Odell Beckham Jr. a name that they are going to have that interest in that might be able to come in here and be that Michael Gallup role? Is Michael Gallup going to move forward after a full whole season of recovery from his ACL? It, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, you see some of these mocks now. There's a lot of people who think that they may go with an interior lineman down there at 26, that a guard may be the play at 26. That it makes sense. You're losing McGovern. You you obviously are having an aging offensive line, and at some point you have to replace these guys. But I also think it's interesting. Like to me, the Cowboys don't need to be, and we used to say this all the time. Why did the Cowboys have to have the only offensive line in the entire league with three All Pros on it? Why do they have to have an offensive line of four first round draft picks for it oh, to work? I can work? tell you what. I can tell you what. Because that's when they had their most success. And, you know, I think it's just sometimes they get caught up in living in the past and trying to recreate what what brought them such success in the 90s. You had a great offensive line, a great running back, and that's how you dominate the league. Well, the game has changed, so you don't need that. 
Uh, I sure as hell wouldn't spend a first-round pick on a guard. They should be able to plug and play a second or third-round guard uh, and, and keep it moving. Um, because, you know, after the offense, once the tackles are set and your center's set, your guards should just be kind of, uh, you know, guys. Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, you look around the league and you see some of these and the way that other teams are built. I mean, the Eagles are a great example of this. Yes, they have Lane Johnson, who was a first-round draft pick. That's it. The rest of their offensive line, I think they have a third-round dude on there. Kelsey, who they hit, it was a six-round guy originally. You know, they've got Landon Dickerson at one of their guard spots, who was a second-round guy. They drafted perhaps Jason Kelsey's replacement a year ago and Cam Jurgens, who was a second-round guy. You know, they randomly found that rugby dude who was like a sixth or a seventh-round pick and turned him into a pretty solid tackle. So it, I, I just find it interesting to me, I would rather see them invest that draft capital in a big-time playmaker at wide receiver, I, w- I would imagine, most likely. Somebody that can come in here. Again, I'll, I'll look at the Eagles. They didn't draft A.J. Brown, but he was a first-round pick that they traded for. It cost him a first-rounder to pair with what? Another first-rounder in Devontae Smith. The Cowboys' offense, when they had Lamb and Cooper, those were two first-round wide receivers. And, and I, I, I don't know. We, we're going to beat this over and over, I think, throughout the course of the next couple of months leading up to the draft. But wide receivers, you can get immediate impact wide receivers and playmakers in the first round. And to me, that's where I would invest my draft capital. Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I think, and you know, the interesting thing, and obviously we'll get into more of this later, but at the end of the first round where they're drafting 26, I believe, you're really talking about what, Matt? Second round players on the draft board, not yeah. first round players. Even though you got to take them in the first round. So it wouldn't be shocking to me if they tried to move back and pick up extra collateral somewhere else. But I think, I really think that you should just go get a wide out there. Troy Aikman said something very interesting on the ticket the other day. Um, he was talking about Amari Cooper and how they never replaced him. And Troy used to, Troy said something to the effect of when he was playing, you're only as good as like your, your third receiver. Mm. And your third receiver could be like your tight end, like Jay Novacek. Sure. He said in today's NFL, you're really only as good as your fourth receiver. Again, it could be a tight end or whatever. And so when you look at the Cowboys, man, if that, if, if you believe that that you're only as good as your fourth receiver, well, look at what, what Dak was working with last year. You're working with CeeDee Lamb. Okay, he's legit. You're working with Michael Gallup, who's beat up and banged up in a shell of his former self. You're working with Noah Brown, who's who, just a guy, really. And then Dalton Schultz, who's a pretty good tight end. That ain't a lot to work with, bro. No. Which is why I keep saying, what? They got to add two playmakers. You know, one in free agency, one in the draft. However you do it, man. But you know you got to get uh, you got to get some guys who can make plays. Yeah, you do. You you have to have some of that. And again, with the way I mean, this is becoming more and more in the modern game because of all these seven on seven camps and everything. The development of quarterbacks that go into college and come into the NFL is better than it's ever been. The development of wide receivers, which is why you can see. I mean. These teams in any given draft now, I think maybe the last two or three drafts in a row, we've seen five, six wide receivers go in the first round because of where the game is going. And so the, it just makes a lot of sense to me. I think at 26, there is going to be a receiving option available there that can be 
Is he going to walk in? It's much like CeeDee Lamb. Did CeeDee Lamb walk in immediately as a rookie and Justin Jefferson this thing? No, but he didn't have to. And you don't need a rookie to come in and be what CeeDee Lamb is because you already have a number one wide receiver. But if you've got a guy who can go up and is used to playing against the best cornerbacks in college, now he's the number two or maybe even the number three option. You've got an opportunity for him to have a nice rookie year where the pressure is not 100% on him. No, it's a, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, but this is all I, this is typically how I answer that question. Just give me somebody who can play, man. Don't give me no Jalen Tolberts. No. Give me a real player from a big school mm-hmm. because I don't need, this is not a time where I got a couple years for him to find his rhythm. You know, you got, let's go. Let's start and let's go play and let's go put up some numbers because CeeDee Lamb's going to be the, doing the heavy lifting. Um, so you just need to come in and be able to contribute. And don't give me a dude if he ain't ready to come in and play right now. Yeah, and, and that's where, I mean, a couple of names that, it, it, there's so there's so many names, honestly, that could be there that are hanging around that part of the first round that you keep seeing. It's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, a guy like a Jordan Addison, if you look at some of these mock drafts, Jordan Addison is going into the 20s. Well, Jordan Addison is a Blitnikoff Award winner. And not only was he really, really good at Pittsburgh in the ACC, he then went and with Caleb Williams and had a phenomenal year at USC. And I keep looking at it and I go, man, what are we missing there with a guy like that that has that type of experience? You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's going to fall a little bit because he was injured most of last year with Ohio State. Well, coming into last year before he had that hamstring issue, he was projected as a top five pick. And the number one wide receiver in the draft, you know, Zay Flowers, who's got all kinds of speed. A guy like a Jalen Hyatt, who exploded at Tennessee this year, who's a big physical guy who's used to going up against SEC-type defenses. It just it feels like, to me, and obviously not all these wide receivers will hit, but having watched some of those guys in college especially, you just wonder, man, how could they miss if, if you get a guy in this offense that doesn't have to be the number one guy to who your point is not a small college dude who basically put up his, st- his stats just on deep passes because he was really good at South Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I'd want a more complete guy, but uh, I think the guy from Tennessee is a the guy they say takes the top off defense. Yeah, he's a beast. Later, uh, I'll, I'll figure out all these names as we get close to the draft. But you just need – I keep saying it's because it's true, man. You need playmakers. You need guys who can make a guy miss and pick up 30 or 40 yards. They don't have to always score a touchdown. But here's the deal. And uh, Matt, and told you, have, Matt and I have told you this, this for, uh, for years, uh, which is that how do you score points in the NFL? You score points on big plays so that you can go 80 yards and six plays touchdown because it's so hard to go 12 plays, 80 yards, 14 plays, 75 yards because you get a negative play, you get a penalty, it kind of wrecks that drive. So big plays is the way to score. Cowboys didn't have enough big plays last year, even though they scored a lot of points. Imagine how many point, many more points they scored if they had big play guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and there is – look – College, we anybody who watches college football, the teams at the top are loaded with offensive talent, and they've got gobs of receivers, which is why teams score a ton and they sling it around a lot now. So you've got chances. That's why there are receivers that are coming out and having immediate impacts. And I'll be very interested to see what they do. But they've got to come out of this draft. And we talked about that a couple of years ago when we knew, man, they have got to focus on defense. They need to have a dominantly defensive draft. They did, and we've seen the benefits of that. 
I think this is one of those years where I kind of look at it and go, they need to have a dominant offensive draft. Yeah, they need to add a cornerback. There are some pieces on defense, but that's still a defense that's pretty damn good with what it was last year. They need some focus on the offensive side of the football. No, I don't think. I think uh, I think you're right. And Mike McCarthy being the uh, the new play caller, I think he will uh, get himself a couple of toys to shop with because his job is on the line this season. That's pretty clear. Uh, they got rid of Kellen Moore. You took over the play calling. The offense uh, has been poop poop like in the playoffs the last two years. And so if you can get there, the offense will be on you, and it'll be up to you to perform and uh, get to the NFC Championship game. That's right. That's the expectation. And if not, well, Dan Quinn will be talking about him for 2024. You know what? I think you're absolutely right. As the new head coach of the Cowboys. so and Which is fair, man. I mean, you brought in Mike McCarthy – this is his fourth season. You brought him here to do something that Jason Garrett couldn't do. And he hasn't done that. And and after a four-year sample size, I mean, what else do you need to see from the guy? You're either going to do it or you're not. I'm not quite that hardcore, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, because we could sit here and say, well, maybe he needs more time, and which is, I, I there is a fairness to that. But like we've talked about, you can only do so much to change the players. The only other thing you can change if it's not working is, okay, He's not the guy to get us past this point, so let's see if Dan Quinn is. Right, 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 right. Whether it's fair or not. I mean, it's not like he's the one out there making the plays in the divisional round of the, of the playoffs, but it's what it is, man. So I'll be curious to see how this season goes because there is a lot of moving pieces, and they need a lot of help offensively. And it may be a really exciting draft. I mean, there's a lot of fun names in the first couple of rounds, especially at the skill positions. I'll be curious to see what they do. One thing that you don't have to be curious about is where to take your vehicle. You just take it to Freeway Tire Shop, problem solved. Like, I, I just wish the Cowboys could drive the franchise into JR's place and drop <laughs> it off and then go back a couple of hours later and pick it up and JR would have him taken care of. We would all love it. He'd, st- he'd sit there and go, no, no, trust me on this, guys. I got it. I'm standing behind the work that I've done. Because <laughs> that's what he does. I mean, that's JR. I mean, the, the quality, the level of customer service, you can trust this guy, man. He is the mechanic you need to be taking your stuff to. No, man, JR is uh, fantastic. I tell y'all, I ride with him, man, because of the uh, consistency and the performance of his work. And here's what I'm talking about. You know, the thing about JR is you can trust him. And if your mechanic doesn't do all the stuff he does, then you need to leave your mechanic and go ride with JR because you can trust him to diagnose what's wrong with your car. That's, that's number one, man. And then after that, check this out. You trust him to use quality parts to fix it. And then you can trust him to uh, make sure that your car is going to be working right. How about that, Matt? Mm-hmm. And then you can trust him to stand behind his prices, man, and stand behind his work because he'll charge you a fair price. If your mechanic doesn't do all that, then you need to ride up the street, right up 35 North, get off at Commonwealth, go through the light. He's right on the right. There he is. Tell him the boys from Jam Sessions sent you. He'll be glad. You'll be glad. And you can send us a thank you note later. He'll get you taken care of. So check him out online. Support him as he supports us. It's freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, our guys, Juan and Brent, the brothers that own Smokey John's Barbecue, man. Did you see, I was trying to find it on Twitter because, and I love when you guys do this. You go to Smokey John's, you take a picture of your jam session bowl, and you send it to us. And every time I'm like, my God. And, and I've seen it a million times. Oh, here it is. Donovan goes, he's, he tweeted us. He said, I had to bring my coworker from out of town to Smokey John's. I told him he could order what he wanted or I could order for him. He's a believer and wants to come back tomorrow, and it looks like they got two jam session bowls. Man, I mean, God, that looks good. (laughs) 
How about that? That looks incredible. And it's funny because, I mean, I'm, these aren't professional photographers. That's just how damn good the Jam Session Bowl looks. No, nah, man, Jam Session Bowl is fantastic, man. It's a, a mac and cheese base or a mashed potato base. Your choice of two out of five smoked meats. And that's when the fun begins, man. After that, they put all the stuff you find on a loaded baked potato, like bacon bits and chives and sour cream and butter, man. And then they drizzle it with that fantastic sauce. And it is sensational. It's enough to feed two, maybe three, if you got like a kid with you that's like six or seven. And I'm telling you, you're going to have leftovers if it's just one or two people. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the whole place, it's a great experience. You know, they're such wonderful people. They're very positive people. And if you get a chance, if Brenner Juan is there to say hi, they're just great dudes, man. The food is phenomenal. It's a wonderful environment. So check them out at Smokey John's Barbecue. And where else? I mean, literally, there is nowhere else on the planet that you can go where for all of us that, that do the podcast and for all of you that listen, they created something for you to eat for the podcast. It's the only place on planet Earth where this exists. Dude, does it really get much better than that? No, it's badass. So check them out. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. So this trip around the block, you said that you've got a show, because I, I was going to talk about one as well. So what, what is this show that I need to check out? Okay, first off, it's on Tubi, all right? Tubi, ah, yeah. yes. Isn't that like they have like 10-second episodes or something weird? No, they got, I mean, it's like normal. They got a bunch of shows on there. It's, um... But it's like, you know, they got a lot of black shows on there, or for shows designed for a black audience, which is why I find it somewhat amusing. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's moved up into, uh, let me see, where is it now? After uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime, I probably watch more stuff on Tubi mm. than anything else. Okay, so here's the show. It's called McGraw Avenue. Okay. All right. It is the grittiest of gritty inner city drug dealing shows and it's some it, it looks like it's shot on a much lower budget and so you have to you what's the word i'm looking for you can't take your your uh, yellowstone cinematography into it yeah 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 because it it's shot on a much lesser budget and somebody acting you're like Hey, did uh, did our friend Juan go out for a part? Because it's uh, you know they didn't hit on all the actors. Okay, bit part bit part actors. I got but you. That also gives it a bit of a realism feel. But I'm telling you, bro, if you want to just see a few episodes about what it probably is really like to be a drug dealer in a city like Detroit or Baltimore or Chicago, this is probably it. Because the you know I started to I started I was I went through uh, the first two seasons in the last couple of days because I've been doing a lot of work and so I've been watching some and I'll go back and listen to it again if it's a scene I need to look at but dude I started to go back and get it from the beginning and see what this guy's body count is because he must have killed like thirty people dang but it's a it's an inner city show about a drug dealer. Uh, he's a the main character is a drug dealer, but it's all about selling drugs, and it's in you know the street where they sell where this guy lives is McGraw Avenue. That's where all the cocaine in the city uh, gets sold. But when I talk about the gritty violence, where they show, I mean it's I say it's gritty because you can see this is how really drug dealers get set up and how bodies get done, 
you know, because they find them in the basement. So they're like, hey, Matt, meet me over here. We're going to do this deal. Yeah. And we do the deal. And as soon as you turn around and leave, I pull my gun out from behind and shoot you in the head. And the <laughs> that's why I keep calling it gritty, man, because it is like, wow. And the, and, the, and the other thing I liked about it, man, was the dialogue was point on. Hmm. Now, as a white person, you may not get it all. But if you're a black person, the dialogue, you can tell the dialogue is like perfect for the characters that they're doing. And, you know, the, where they live and what they would say and how they would talk and the yeah. kinds of things they would say. The dialogue is sensational. Um, so, no, that's my gritty show that I've been watching. McGraw Avenue on Tubi. So, more so than The Wire. Yeah, this is like, okay, now, this that's a very good point. Because I thought about The Wire when I was yeah. watching it. It's not, okay, let me see. It's not going to be as well done as The Wire in terms of, uh, you know, how the scenes are put together and all this other stuff. Sure, I mean, yeah. ain't, ain't no Idris Alba in here or no Wood, whatever Wood's last name is. Uh, Wood Harris. Harrison here. Ain't none of that. Yeah. But, but this is far grittier in terms of realism. Like, um, you know, in terms of how they set guys up. And they got some storylines going because there's a lot of, you know, there's some crooked cops involved. And then there's some, some I didn't know that person A knew person C. Because even though they hang around person B all the time, and person B knows A and C, but they don't know each other. Mm. You know, one of those kinds of things where you're, you're looking for people and they're right next to you, but you don't know them because you don't know them, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's worth checking out, man. Uh, and, you know, give it two or three episodes because, you know, somebody like you who's an actor, you might be like, really? I don't know about this. But once you, uh, <laughs> you know, because, again, they I shot on a low yeah. budget. Yeah. So some of it is just like, really? And uh, I mean, it's uh, it's worth taking a peek at. Yeah, it's interesting because I was just checking out Tubi and I didn't realize apparently it's totally free, but they have ads. Yeah, and ads aren't really, uh, I'm going to say it like this. The ads aren't really annoying. Like they come on, but they're short. And so they haven't, I haven't been annoyed by them. Well, that's and, good know, news. I get, I get annoyed rather easily by ads. Yeah. So they're not, uh, uh, you know, they're not very annoying to me. Okay. Now, what was annoying <laughs> for Tubi, and I just, I just didn't do it out of spite, is uh, I was looking at, I think I was looking at McGraw Avenue, and I left to go, you know, do something else, and I clogged back in, yeah. and they're like, oh, if you want to see what you used to be watching, you need to sign up. And I was like, Really? You're going to make me sign up just to see what I was watching beforehand? I don't I, like, you know, something, it's like what? Something, I, yeah, I didn't like something about that, so I refused it's to fair. do it. And so I sat around for about five minutes going, okay, what was the name of that damn show I was watching? And then I finally remembered it. And so, you know, screw you, buddy. I'm not signing up for anything. Yeah, McGraw Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the total opposite side of, <laughs> of what you're describing. <laughs> So yesterday on, on the 15th, the new not Netflix documentary, like behind the scenes show about the PGA Tour came out. It's called Full Swing. And right, right, right. it's, it's kind of like, it, it, it's very similar to, I mean, we all saw like the Amazon, whatever that thing was for football that they did, or like 
hard knocks or whatever. And there's been this thing that has really exploded the popularity of the F1 series where they did behind the scenes yeah, 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 and yeah, they yeah. followed them home and all around. Well, they, they did this last season with the PGA tour that and be interesting. It, well, we're a couple episodes into it. The first episode is basically Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and focuses on their relationship and whatnot. The second episode focuses on Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler, who a lot of people may have forgotten, but last year he won like all these tournaments, ended up winning the Masters and came out of nowhere. And then the third episode, which we just started, is about some of the guys starting to defect to the Live Golf Tour. And it's interesting. I mean, a lot of it is footage that you saw while you were watching the golf tournaments while they're showing like, okay, here's Justin Thomas winning, winning the PGA last year. But then it's like he's narrating over it or his dad is. And then they show like little clips with him and, you know, like these little just interesting behind the scenes things of who these people are and the training that they do and what the life of a professional golfer really is other than just showing up at the course and whatnot. And I like it because it's uncensored, which is finally I was, nice. I was going to say, does it feel real? Oh, it feels real. I mean, there, there are times, I mean, Brooks Kepka, man, that dude drops an F-bomb like every five seconds, which is great. <laughs> and you can tell, I mean, there are times, like they show moments that you don't normally see. Like there's a couple of moments where you see Jordan Spieth get pissed on the course and like slam a club and, and kick a bag and stuff like that. And, you know, just the frustration of what high level golf is when it's not going your way. It's really interesting. And then to see these guys who, Oh, they, they didn't win, but you just, you finished 36, but you're taking home $60,000 going back to your mansion and to see like mentally how frustrated they are. Like Kepka is really interesting. You know, he, he, he kind of always came across to me as kind of a douche. Right. And I don't know that it, it doesn't change in this, but you can tell he's driven by something and it's wild to, he even admits like at one point, he's like, you know, I lost my confidence. He's like, I, I'm not as confident as, he's like, I don't know how to get back. I, I don't know how to get back. Well, I was reading something the other day that somebody, uh, somebody wrote and said he's kind of fallen off a cliff because he had a 78 yeah. and did make the cut at whatever tournament last week. Yeah, the waste management. Yeah. Now, he was having a rivalry with somebody, wasn't he? Yeah, him and Bryson DeChambeau. Right. So now that he's a non-factor because he couldn't have his confidence, how's the other guy doing? I I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I I generally don't get in. Like, I'll start watching the PGA Tour like when the Masters comes around. Like, I watch some of the major events, but I don't really pay attention as much outside of that. But I don't know. It's interesting because obviously my my brother is now. I don't. He's the head pro at Merido out there in Carrollton which is a super exclusive course in the DFW area where all these guys are members like Scheffler plays out there. Will Zalatoris, that's his home course. Uh, Spieth plays out there all the time. And right. he, he has a, a working relationship, I would say, with a lot of the guys that play out there. Like he's played golf with Tony Romo a couple of times because Romo's right. a member out there. And to hear some of the stories that he tells about some of these guys and, and the way that they are, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Golfers are a different breed. You know, it's it's a really, like, hardcore people who are really into golf. It's an interesting life. In which respect? It's, you know, it's probably like this with a lot of professional athletes or guys that are, are that good at something on that level where, you know, it's always, they're always playing for money. Everywhere they go, they're, they're always betting on something or, like, and they show this. My brother's like this. Like, you, you cannot go have fun playing golf with somebody who's that good at golf and does it for a living. It's impossible. 
because they're out there. They're trying to bet on every shot. They're trying to play these weird little money games and, and do all this stuff. And they're playing double or nothing. And, you know, I, all these different things that they do on every hole and they keep a running tally in their head of how much money is, is at stake on each hole. And then they, you settle up at the end and all this. It's wild, man. But, you know, it's a completely different life because these are the rich and famous, essentially. I mean, it, they, they go everywhere on a private jet to their tournaments and they're, they're shuttled around in private cars and all this type of thing. It's, it's interesting to kind of see that behind the scenes scene, you know, and then also at the same time, like there's a scene where Scotty Scheffler lives in Dallas and he and his wife, before he started winning last year, it shows them walking from a Trader Joe's like back to the apartment they were living in. <laughs> and he's just walking down the street, Scotty Scheffler. How about that? You know, and, and it's kind of interesting. So I always like anything behind the scenes. And I know they did one on tennis that we wanted to check out too called Breakpoint. Because I, I do think it's interesting to see people who, especially in athletics, who are you behind that? And, and, and what can, what drives you and what are you about? And you know, the uncensored thing, I'm a huge fan of uncensored, you know, I'll be very curious to see if that show picks up the popularity of golf, like it did for F1. I don't know. I never watched the F1 thing, but I was curious because I do dabble in golf a little bit. And I, I like watching the majors. So I thought I might be curious to see some of these personalities behind the golfer, so to speak, but it's done well, it's done well. So if you're into golf, you should check it out. (laughs) If you're not into golf, don't check it out. well, I don't know, even if you're like, I'm not into golf, but it might be interesting. I think it was always about, does it feel authentic and real? Because you don't want reality TV that feels fake. Yeah, that's true. And, and this, de- this definitely feels real. And the other thing that I watched, and man, I got to tell you, this, this was wild because of some of the, the footage that they got here. But there is a docu-series on Netflix called Earthstorm. And it's four episodes, and one of them focuses on tornadoes, one on hurricanes, one on volcanoes, and one on earthquakes. And some of the footage that they get with the tornadoes and the hurricanes especially is just insane because it's from these storm chasers and whatnot that are going into these storms. And they kind of teach you about how, why do these happen and how do they form and and the the conditions and, you know, kind of going through that whole thing. And I was actually, the tornado one especially, I was like, man, this is fascinating. Because obviously, like, where I live in Alabama, we have tornadoes. In Texas, very familiar with tornadoes. And it's interesting the way that they form and how the zones for each of those have grown as the earth has gotten warmer. Uh, I hate to hear that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's, you know, the hurricanes and things of that nature. The volcano thing is weird because they basically even admit, like, we don't know if it's going to blow up. We're trying to study these things to figure out why would a volcano erupt? And then it erupts. And we're like, oh, okay, well, how do we learn from this? And, you know, because volcanoes are not, aren't erupting constantly. <laughs> Dude, our world is so weird right now with global warning, warming or whatever yeah. else is involved in, uh, in making, you know, the, um, what you call it, like the, 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 the Antarctic rock disappear and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it's crazy, so, man. I mean, it's dude. like, I think everybody at, at least it has some idea of what Pompeii was from back in ancient times where, you know, the, the city with the volcano and it, it froze those, basically cooked them in place and all that. Well, what's wild is the volcano that erupted that caused that is called Vesuvius. 
it's yeah. it's still there and there's like three million people that live in the radius of Vesuvius now. Is that right? Yeah, and this one volcano volcano guy, volcanologist, he was <laughs> that's what they're called, volcano vulcano, volcanologists. Like yeah. Spock? Yeah, kinda. But it's pronounced volcano volcanologist, but it's pronounced volcanologist. This dude's on the show and he's like, Yeah, he goes, I mean, if it were to erupt like that again, you know, a million people would die probably pretty quick. And you're just <laughs> like, what? Jeez. And it, but it, it's, you know, and it makes sense. Like all these places where there are these volcanoes, well, they've erupted at some point in the past, which is why the, the soil and the land is so fertile and it's gorgeous. And a lot of the times it's on the coast. So these people are living in really nice, lovely areas. But you're basically living on or right next to a volcano that may or may not erupt and melt you at some point. Okay, now see, that's a good question. Would you live that close to a volcano that could melt you? Even though the odds are it won't. Right, even though like, oh, well, that was like this hasn't erupted in 7,000 years or whatever. I I don't know, man. It's it's wild because apparently there's been a couple of eruptions and they have footage of one. I want to say in Nicaragua that erupted. And I mean, you see this dude, they realize that the pyroclastic cloud is getting, is going to hit them. So they, it's on camera too. This guy grabs his camera, they get in their truck and just take off. And you hear his friend go, what about that guy there? He goes, no, go, go, go. And you just see the pyroclastic cloud just envelop this dude that was on the side of the road. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. I mean, it is, there is some intense footage. So in something like that, I don't, I don't know that I would want to live relatively close to a volcano okay i shouldn't ask this question what's a pyrotechnic cloud it's pyroclastic it's it's when a volcano erupts at a certain level it caught it's it's like that big ash cloud that's moving like 150 miles an hour but it's hot and full of gases so it just eviscerated that person pretty much probably yeah Oh my God! Wow! And there's nothing you can do. I mean, you couldn't breathe in it, and it's it's uh, who knows how hot it is. So it probably just melted him. You know, that's why I said I, I hesitate to ask because I figured that was that was yeah. the answer. Yeah, and it's man, it's I don't know. It, there is some wild footage in here. I mean, there is footage of these storm chasers that it, apparently there's this massive tornado in Oklahoma. Imagine that back in 2013. That is the the widest recorded tornado ever. It was like three miles wide, and it, it it was so unpredictable that these storm chasers didn't realize how big it was. And one of them is like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Go go go!" And they're in it. They're like, "We're it's gonna get us! It's gonna!" And like they're in the tornado basically, and their car is getting hit with different stuff. And I mean, it is. I don't know. It's just, it's wild that these people that when everybody else is driving away, they're like, oh, we need to go and get footage of this and and set up our equipment to test all this. And they're trying to drive into tornadoes and into hurricanes and, you know, dipping shovels into volcanoes and crap. I don't know, bro. I don't know if I want to be driving into that. Yeah, I'm out. I'm good. But it is wild. I mean, it's, you know, everybody knows Tornado Alley. And I, I didn't realize this until I watched this documentary. Apparently, Alabama is one. Of, it's what is known as Dixie Alley, which is Alabama and like part of Tennessee and this region. And this is another region where tornadoes occur. And we have more intense tornadoes here in this Dixie Alley area per capita than Tornado Alley does, which is Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and all that. Wow. 
which I would have never guessed because that whole area is so flat, which is why so many tornadoes develop there. And here is not flat, which is like you'll get tornadoes here, but they don't stay on the ground very long because they run into like a mountain ridge or whatever. <laughs> well, that's actually a blessing right there. It is. It is. It's also very strange because you can't see them coming usually. Unless you're on top of the mountain and you can see all the way across, you know, the, the region. But if you're not on top of it, then you have you could drive, you know, like in Texas, you can sit. You could sit on one side of Lake Ray Hubbard, like I remember the footage from the Rowlett tornado, and you could watch across the lake, this massive tornado, just right across the lake because you can see it. Whereas here, it's a lot harder to see because you can't see that far because of all the the big rolling hills and the foothills of the mountains and stuff. Wow, that's amazing, bro. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's wild, man. I mean, that's that's one of the things, like, you don't realize it when you live here, and then you I'll, I'll drive back to Texas, and I'm like, holy crap, I can see downtown Dallas from Rockwall. <laughs> You know, I didn't think about it because I've lived here for so long. Yeah. I mean, it's so insanely flat that you don't really have to get that high there to be able to see for 25 miles. Man, but you got all those hills there and you yeah. can't see. Yeah, you got to be man. on top of one of those things to be able to see a mile, much less 25 miles. Dude. I mean, there's uh, it's, 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 it is very interesting. You know, if I stood on the roof of my house at my parents' house, I could probably see all across their entire neighborhood. If I stood on the roof of my house here, I would be able to see my next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? You know, that's just kind of how it is because of the way that we're at the bottom of the hill. I'm I'm not going to see what's on the the part of that hill without looking up. I can't see what's on the other side. I I know what's there because I've driven over there, but I I you know you can't see it. That's the craziest thing, man. There are times here where it's so dark at times where you'll be going up a hill and you know that there's road on the other side of it, but you can't see it because you're just going up. It's, it's strange. <laughs> Welcome to living in hills, I guess. I guess. Now, do y'all get much ice? No, we haven't gotten ice. I want to say like last year we got a little bit of snow, but it wasn't much ice. And I think Texas probably gets more ice than we do. Although, it, I mean, and this is interesting, too, about Alabama that most people don't realize is that this region of the country is the rainiest region of the country in terms of total rainfall. Because everybody's like, oh, I thought that was Seattle. Like the Pacific Northwest will get more days with rain, but we get way more rainfall. Like Mississippi and Alabama were the top two states in total rainfall last year. Is that right? Yeah, and it wasn't even close. Like we had something, I think, like 68 inches of rainfall last year. So does that just mean it does, does it rain all year round or just during the winter? Oh, no, it, it rains all year round. And when it rains here, like we will have time periods where we it will rain every day for like a week straight and just rain and oh, rain and rain. Really? Yes. So it, so it rains all day when it rains. Yes. All righty then. Yeah, which is it's it's totally different. And so. You know, that's one of those things where people don't realize how much rain that this region of the country gets. I mean, it makes sense because we're right by we're literally right next to the Gulf of Mexico. And so you you see like actual rainfall here is quite a ton. I was trying to find just for comparison's sake. Let's see. Yeah, all right. So here we go. So total rainfall. Let's see. We had like 60 some odd inches and then. Trying to see where Texas. Okay, so this will put it into context. We had 66 inches and Texas had 28, 29. Wow. So a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> 
crazy. Yeah, isn't that nuts? And then Washington, where Seattle is, had 44 inches. So we had about 20 more inches than Washington State did. I would have never guessed that in a million years. Yeah, man, it is. That, that's one of the weirdest things. Like when we moved here, just there are weeks where it just it rains and it's just like it's just not going to stop. Like it, it's, it started raining today. It's been raining since we woke up and it's rained all day today. And it's supposed to rain like half the day tomorrow and then it'll move on. Dude. Yeah. Is, uh, wow. Yeah. So does it put you in a depressive mood? No, I mean, there have been a couple of times where I think you just get tired of it because you're like, man, it's just overcast every day and it's just raining and raining and raining. When's it going to end? Like this happened a couple of like probably a month ago where it just felt like it and it, it did. It rained like six days in a row. And then finally the sun came out and you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say also like the spring here is gorgeous because you, there's so much rainfall here that the, the plant life is vibrantly green and it's so much green. And there's a lot of really pretty colors here because of that. So I guess it's kind of a trade off. All right. But the other thing to get into is Major League Baseball. As we teased you guys at the beginning, spring training is upon us. They are working towards Major League Baseball opening day. And it's interesting because your Texas Rangers went out and spent $185 million on the best pitcher on the market. We talked about this dude. He is an injury risk. And he could not participate in the first workout of spring training because he felt tightness in his side and they held him out of the first workouts of spring training. It's just precautionary, bro. Yeah, it's just precautionary. It's what they said. I will say that I did. I thought, okay, I'm not as young as he is, but I might also feel tightness in my side if it's 34 degrees on our first workout and we're supposed to go outside and start stretching. Yeah, okay, maybe. So I, I, but my God, like with his injury history, man, and I read that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Dude, it's going to be like this all year, man. We're going to get 10 starts out of this guy. I was joking with my friends. I was like, you know what's going to happen? We're going to have a guy go 10 and 0 with a 0.3 ERA. <laughs> and he's only ever going to play in 10 games. Um, Bro, well, you know, he, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what, uh, what happens with him? I mean, I hope he can stay healthy. I hope he can give uh, the Rangers a little bit of their money's worth. I think he'll be fine if and when he pitches. It's just if and when he pitches, man. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yep, it is. And it's – you want to believe in it. You want this to be the time when he is healthy. But at the same time with what he struggled with in recent years – and then you see this news come out. There's no other way to look at it than you just kind of like bow your head and go, of course. Of course, the Rangers can't have a real ace that is a dominant pitcher. Why would that happen? <laughs> and look, again, the, the full squad doesn't even get there until this weekend. That was pitchers and catchers who reported on Wednesday. And they don't play, they don't play their first spring training game until February 24th. So you got a week until that happens all these guys are different we know that it's it's one of those things they open the season march 30th so you got six weeks but man i just i hope he's okay and i hope he can at least at least make 20 starts there's no way this guy is making 30 plus starts this year no i mean i think i think um that's the goal is to figure out what what's a reasonable goal yeah (laughs) 
and then go from there and keep your expectations in check so that you're not so disappointed. Yeah. I mean, he'll give you what he's got, but who knows what he's got. Yeah, and again, you have to realize, and, and granted, it was the COVID year in 2020, 12 starts, 2021, 15 starts, 2022, 11 starts. He has not pitched over 92 innings since he threw 204 innings back in 2019. So this is a guy who threw 68 innings, 92 innings, 64 innings. How many innings is it feasible for him to make a jump to this season? I honestly, I don't know what the expectation would be. I don't know if you can jump a guy who has pitched that little in three years up to 200 plus innings. Um, nah, 150. That was kind of my thought. Like if you could get 150 innings out of this dude, then I take it. I would, I would take that because if he's given you 150 innings, let's see. And you feel confident about it. Trying to do the math on this real quick. Okay, you might be, that would be six innings for 25 starts. True that, true that. So I might take that. The other thing, and we had a couple of you reach out about this, and this it is confusing as hell. But basically, the parent company that owns Bally Sports has filed for bankruptcy. Or they haven't filed for bankruptcy. They, they missed. See, this is where this gets all tricky about... It's called Diamond Sports Group. So Diamond Sports Group is the parent company that owns the, whatever, the Bally Sports. And so there's 19 Bally Sports regional networks. Obviously, most of those, I believe 14 of them pull in Major League Baseball teams that use their service, much like the Rangers, the Braves do here in the Southeast. So that group announced on Wednesday that they would skip... February's $140 million interest-only payment. They are entering into a 30-day grace period that everybody believes is headed towards a bankruptcy filing. Rob Manfred had to come out and basically said that you don't want teams to have financial difficulties, of course, that they've been trying to figure this out, spending a lot of time and effort to work with them and figure out where they are. As he says, obviously, our first choice is that Diamond would pay the clubs what they're contractually obligated to pay them, but we are prepared no matter what happens to make sure that games are available to fans in their local markets. And so he goes on to say that it looks like it could be both linear in the traditional cable bundle and digitally on our own platforms, but we'll see. Cause it, it, it really like everything I've read about this, it, it looks like this is a done deal and that Bally sports is going to go away long-term. That's going to be great. That'll be phenomenal. But in the short term, how do these teams get their product onto whatever it's going to be so that it is immediately available for opening day and whatnot. I don't know. That's a good question. Nobody knows. But he says that they do have a plan. He, he, he says, they look, always got a plan. Yeah. And, and my thought was, I mean, they have MLB network and they have that package that you can buy. And, and I wonder if they would discount that or if they would be, you know, hey, you're going to have to stream games. It's not going to be available on your traditional cable packages, but you can you can buy a team-only plan or maybe something like that for this season so that you can watch games in your local market, but you're going to have to stream them. I, I don't know what else they could do. I mean, I, I, that would be okay. I wouldn't be... You know, I'm all for... Just let me watch what I want to watch. What, I mean, Bally has just made this thing ridiculous, and it serves him right for being banned. Yeah, I agree. Um 
you know, but now let's get it in place and, you know, set something up so that people can watch whatever team they want to watch and, you know, get rid of the whole blackout thing and just let people do their thing, man. Yeah, and you never know. There could be some of the regional cable distributors, or whether it's Comcast or Charter or Time Warner or whatever it is, AT&T, I guess. You know, maybe there's a way that Major League Baseball can work out like a short-term deal with them to be able to carry the games locally. But then, of course you'd have to switch to cable or something. And my thing has always been, that's what pissed me off about the Bally's thing, pissed a lot of people off. I haven't had cable in years. I stream, I use YouTube TV. Well, Bally couldn't work out a deal with them. And, and so locally, even back going to when I was still living in Dallas, you couldn't watch the stars, the Mavs or the Rangers. Cause I use you, I was like, I'm not going to get rid of YouTube TV and jump through all these hoops to sign up for something because you guys can't figure out how to make your games readily available to me. No, I'm, I'm with you, and uh, I think UT. I mean, YouTube TV is terrific. I do too. It, I mean, it, it gives you options. You can basically do as much or as little as you want with it. You can take it out of town. It's, I love it, bro. Yeah, I do too, and and I'm curious to see what they do, because again, you know, like you can buy the Major League Baseball package. I think is 25 bucks a month, and you get every out of market game live. Or if you want. You can pay for a single team, which is $129 a year. And if you do that, you can watch like I, like for me. But the, this is where it gets tricky because that's out of market. So for those of you living in Dallas-Fort Worth, you couldn't okay. buy that package and watch the Rangers. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's dumb. Right. And that's where they need to remove that blackout policy because if Bally goes away and doesn't carry it, well, then there is no other option that you're competing with. So why wouldn't you be able to stream local games through MLB TV? Right, exactly. Because that's something that I would be curious and in looking into to see, you know, how many Rangers games would I... And see, this is always one of those things is I might get it for the first month because I want to watch opening day and I like watching them early. But then if they start sucking, you know, everybody, you lose kind of interest in it. And I don't know if I want to invest $130, but I would I would like to be able to watch them more often than I, I'm able to now. No, and uh, yeah, I, I would like to be able to watch them too. Yeah, exactly exactly man i mean that's the thing like living here it's been nice because the stars are on national television every once in a while but like not a lot but i've been able to watch them a handful of times obviously the mavs have been on national television a couple of times which is nice to just kind of you know you catch up and you kind of stop in to see what the team looks like and how they're doing try to catch them as much as possible but it's still they're not showing every game you can't watch every game. Not that, not that I feel like I necessarily need to watch every game, but it, it would certainly be nice to watch more of the games than I'm able to now. But then you got to buy these packages for people like me that live out of market, which can get kind of tricky. No, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, there's, there's got to be a simple solution, man. I think sometimes we make things way too complicated in the, just because we're trying to make every dollar available and in doing so they're not making any dollars. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And and so this Bally thing is going to be interesting to follow along, but I think it will be phenomenal if it ends up going away and maybe they'll get this right. And, you know, there's always packages and you can watch things and, and there's different things around like the stars. For me, I can watch them next Wednesday because they're playing on TNT against Chicago. And then two weeks after that, in March, they play on national television against Colorado so I've actually been kind of able to stop down and get a vibe of what the team is about. And I'm, I'm getting to do it 
man, it, man, it's probably every, I'm trying to think, maybe every, it feels like every five to seven games, they'll have it on like TNT or ESPN or something now where I can actually watch them, which is cool. All right, that's good. I mean, I, I need to, I don't know, I need to watch them a little bit. I haven't watched them at all. Uh, but I've been consumed with football in the yeah. book. Now it's wrapping up. And I'm uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to branch out a little bit and uh, see some of the local teams. Well, you can jump in, man. Next Wednesday, Chicago TNT, eight thirty puck drop, and and then Saturday, March fourth against Colorado, it'll be on ABC, which is cool. And on Saturday afternoon, and it's the stars are really really good. This is a really good team. And I was reading something the other day that they may be trying to go after Patrick Kane from Chicago to get him to come play. Now, before the trade question. deadline, I, I know they got. I know they got lucky with Pavelski in his age. Is Patrick Kane still got anything left? Oh yeah, he's still got something left. He's definitely. I mean, is he Patrick Kane from ten years ago? No, but you're still talking about a guy who you 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 don't need him to be that. You know what I mean? Right. And so I think that that's one of those things where you could get a guy. He's not in a good situation in Chicago because. This is what's really weird. I was looking at this a couple of days ago. When you look at some of the teams, Chicago sucks. They are the worst team in the Western Conference. And then you look at a team like Detroit, who's not as crappy as they have been, but they're probably going to miss the playoffs again. And you think about teams like Chicago and Detroit that it felt like they were always in the playoffs year after year after year. And, And literally Chicago is one of the worst teams in the NHL now. And Detroit hasn't made the playoffs. This will be their seventh, I think, seventh straight season without making the playoffs. You know, at one level, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I remember when, when the Red Wings were, like, on the NF- NHL? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. And it's, you know, Patrick hey, hey. Kane, it, it, it would be an interesting addition for a guy that could give you a little bit of, I mean, look, we're talking about a guy who's in his mid-30s. He only has nine goals this year, but he's second in Chicago with 35 points. He leads and assists a guy who's a veteran who, again, would be playing on a much better team than what he's playing with in Chicago right now that you wouldn't be asking a lot of. Maybe, hey, come out, help on help on the power play. You won't even have to play nearly the ice time that you're playing in Chicago, and you're surrounded by better talent. True that, true that, true that. So why not take a chance on a guy like that? Depending on what Chicago would want for him, obviously. Yeah, what do you, I mean, what does a guy Who like knows? that go for in the NHL? Who knows, man? I mean, it'd be some sort of a prospect, but what level for a dude who is obviously on the down part of his career? But like you point out with Pavelski, maybe he comes to a place like this and it's a fresh start and you're playing with a much better team and a light goes off and you've extended your career three or four years. No, that's that's what I'm talking about exactly right there. But yeah, the stars are good. The stars are really good. I mean, they're they're leading leading on top of the Western Conference right now. They, they're one of the best teams in hockey, and it's going to be a fun playoff run because I think, much like a couple of years ago in the COVID year when they made it to the Cup Finals, this is a team that has the pieces, especially because they've got the goaltender and they can score. They're capable of making a run. This could be a very fun April and May for the Dallas Stars. So we'll see. The other thing... I was going to say, let's hope they can make it run. Yeah, that'd be badass. You look at the Mavs as they go into the All-Star break, and this is a team, we kind of talked about this on the last podcast, but it's you, you've seen Kyrie and Luka together twice. They lost both those games. The Mavs, and, and not that this is indicative of anything because everything's so stacked in the West, they are now seventh in the West. And it's unfortunate because... 
it's going to take them some time to figure this thing out with Kyrie. You, you got to give them the time, but they've now lost three in a row, stumbling into the break. And as we mentioned, they've got those six games coming out of the all-star break at home that is going to be important for them to try and get some traction for the back part of the schedule with those 22 games left to see what they can be in the West. Because I have no idea. No, I mean, I think they'll be very competitive, but the reality is, and what you're talking about is, dog, and we talked about it the other day, them six games home stand, that's where, it's, that's where you got to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you really don't have a whole lot of choice. That's where Luka and Kyrie got to come back and be smoking right off the gate because those six games, I think, will play a big role in determining where exactly they end up in, in the West. And, you know, uh, hopefully they can catch Sacramento in the three spot, uh, or at least, if not, at least stay in the fourth spot so at least they got one series at the crib. Yeah, that'd be nice but, in, in but the then West. You'd have, I was going to say, but then you'd have Denver in the next round. So, you know. Yeah, and, and man, Jokic is just, what an unbelievable dude. But Killing it. You know, you look at it, it's the same story. Without Kyrie on the floor the other night, it was all Luka, 37-9-4. and four. Got a little something from Christian Wood. And then out of that, you know, McKinley Wright the fourth. I don't even know who the hell that is. Had 11 points. And ah. then they picked up uh, Justin Holiday. I'll be curious to see once they come back from the All-Star break, if he can give them a little something will be interesting to see. I mean, again, you're talking about a guy in his mid-30s who's been in the league forever that was just kind of a, you know, off the bench for 12 minutes a game. More of a defensive thing than anything else. Markeith Morris, are they going to get him involved in this thing? I, it, it's interesting. No, I, 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 don't, I don't have much hope for Markeith Morris, but I think the uh, I like Christian Wood. I like uh, the young guys. Yeah, Green, Hardy, Green and Hardy. Yeah. Uh, if you could get Bullock to play just his normal regular game, that'd be fine. Uh, I don't know if you can, but if you could, that'd be great. Uh, they got the potential. Uh, but you know, man, I don't think any of us knows how it goes. It's gonna be about that jail, and there was so much change in the West. It's all about who um, who catches it, who finds the rhythm first and makes it happen. Yeah, you're exactly right, man. And so we shall see. The All Star break is always so weird in the NBA because it, it comes they're they're two thirds of the way through the season. Like, this isn't the halfway point. They've already all played. I mean, Dallas has played, what is it? They're 31 and 29, so they've played 60 games. There's 22 games left. Right, right, right. It's always weird to me how the All-Star break comes that late in the season. It's unbelievable, dude. Like, the season's over. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you come back, and, and maybe in a way it's good because the guys that don't go to All-Star weekend, they get a full week of rest, and, and it's really, hey, rest up. Let's go and get ready for the stretch run to see who's going to get into the playoffs <laughs> in this thing. I, I guess. I don't know. You know, dude, but it's tight, man. It is a tight fit because it's as it sits right now. I mean, you look at this, the Mavs at 10 and a half games at 31 and 29. They're the Timberwolves are 31 and 29. The Mavs are one and a half games ahead of the Thunder who are in 10th and they are two and a half games behind the Kings in third. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Whoever catches a rhythm first. That's the big, that's the one that's gonna take off. Yep. But nobody knows who's gonna catch it first. It's just a and you can't force it. All you can do is play and hope that you catch it. Yeah, that is just. I mean, that is so nuts to sit here and look at this thing. And you've got the third seeded Kings, 
all the way through Portland as the 12 seed are all all of those teams. That's nine teams. The three through the 12 are all within nine and a half games or excuse me, are all within four and a half games of each other. And they're all going to beat up on each other. Which is crazy, which is why, man, like coming out of the break, having that six game homestand. I mean, they've got to hit it. You just have to. I mean, you have to. Kyrie can't have back tightness. He can't like we need you healthy. We need Luka healthy. You got the Spurs, the Lakers and the Pacers right out of the gate after the All-Star break. And the Spurs and the Lakers are two of the worst teams that the Spurs suck. The Lakers are are 13th right now at 27 and 32. And the Pacers over in the East are eight games under 500 and are the 12 seed. So you get to play three teams that you are better than that you should be able to beat right out of the all-star break to kind of equal this thing back out and get some momentum before it picks up. And those final three home games are going to get a lot more tough or tougher, I should say, as I mean, it's going to be tough, man. This is the Western Conference in the NBA. This is how it is. Dude, that's I mean, that's exactly what it is. There ain't no ain't no off nights no more. Uh, this was not a great year for the West and they made all those deals and now it's back to being the West. You're exactly right. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes and uh, you're going to, you're going to watch the all-star game. You, you a big NBA Hell all-star no. game. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I won't spend a single second on anything for the entire weekend. No, I'm coming up to the last two weeks of this book, bro. So I ain't doing nothing but writing. Ah, yeah. That keeps you way busy. Yes, sir. I like it. All right. Well, everybody have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy it. We will be back for you with another episode coming your way on Monday. So have fun, do something exciting over the weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.